Some things in the world are stranger and more bizarre than you can imagine. I was recently uh, exposed to one of these strange phenomena. I came to know about this. And it's called the Worldwide ABDL Community. The Worldwide ABDL Community. A number of people who are ABDLs. ABDL stands for Adult Baby Diaper Lovers. Adult Baby Diaper Lovers. And there's a number of these people around the world. And I actually uh, saw on this uh, YouTube channel, there's this new YouTube channel which uh, features some of the strange and weird things uh, and oddities. And they actually had a feature on one such uh, guy who's an ABDL. Uh, he's in his mid-40s. Uh, he's a pretty big guy, and he says he's been an adult baby for the last 20 years or so. He even runs a website to serve adult babies. Uh, and this guy, being in his mid-40s, is a pretty big dude. Uh, he loves sucking on his pacifier, drinking juice and milk out of a baby bottle. He dresses in a onesie and sleeps in a crib. And yes, he even wears diapers. And he wets his diapers, and he says, you know, yeah, I don't mind, I just love it, it makes me feel comfortable. And he says he likes to identify as a, you know, you can identify between anywhere between six-month-old baby and two-year-old baby, and he says, I identify with being a two-year-old baby because it's the best of both worlds. I can both be a baby and play with my Legos and drink from my bottle, but I can also talk and say what I want. Uh, and some of the adult babies even hire nannies, full-time nannies, uh, to take care of them, to bring them their milk and, and, and feed them with a bottle, and uh, yes, even to change their diapers and give them a bath. I mean, the, the look on my seven-year-old's face as we were watching this was absolutely priceless. She was, you know. You might think that's funny, weird, or bizarre, but it's also shameful, abnormal, kind of repulsive, and tragic. And the sad truth, my friends, is that's a picture of a spiritual reality in the lives of many Christians. Christians who perpetually live spiritually as adult babies. And it's this issue that the author of Hebrews wants to address in our text this morning. The issue of fully grown Christians those who ought to be spiritually mature, but have regressed, gone backwards into spiritual immaturity. That's what the author is speaking about. And like those who first received this letter, we too, dear friends, should feel rebuked for immaturity and challenged to press on toward maturity in the Christian life. So let's look at our text. I just want to give you the structure. It's a very simple structure this morning. Two parts. Chapter 5, verses 11 to 14 uh, is a rebuke concerning spiritual immaturity where the author is telling us to renounce sluggish immaturity. You must renounce your sluggish immaturity. That's verses 11 to 14 of chapter 5. And then chapter 6, verses 1 to 3 is the second part where he's giving us an exhortation to press forward, reach forward to spiritual maturity. That's verses 1 to 3 
of chapter 6. Let's read the text. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So there's this common saying about the task of preaching, and it is said that the job of a preacher is both to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And like I said, the letter to the Hebrews was originally a sermon. This is a master preacher who is fulfilling both these tasks. And so the last two weeks, uh, we saw Hebrews comforting the afflicted. And that's what the sermons were doing, com comforting the afflicted. Well, today it's time to afflict the comfortable. And it's a word of affliction and rebuke and challenge. So we have two challenges in our text that call us to grow up and not be adult babies. Number one, renounce your sluggish immaturity. Renounce your sluggish immaturity. Verses 11 to 14. The author says in verse 11, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. So there's something he wants to talk about, but he says, well, I have a lot to say, but I can't get there right now. What's the this? Well, some of you remember last week, we were looking at Jesus as high priest. And the author told us that he's been appointed as the high priest of the order of Melchizedek. And we all I saw the excitement in the room. Many of you have been waiting to hear about Melchizedek and what it means that Jesus is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, just like these people were probably eager to hear about that. But we didn't go into that last week. I said the author doesn't talk about it here. He just mentions it. We'll have to look at it later. And the reason that the author doesn't talk about it, he tells us now. About this, what? That Jesus is the high priest of the order of Melchizedek. About Melchizedek, we have much to say. You know what? I can't say it right now. Because it's hard to explain. And it's not hard to explain because this truth is hard to explain. It's not that the truth is hard to grasp or very difficult. No, it's the, that the hearers are unable to listen. Did you see that? He tells us that there. Since you have become dull of hearing... The listeners have become sluggish and lethargic. The word dull there refers to a kind of sluggishness to listen. The inability to grasp things, a resistance to what is being said. Why can't we talk about Melchizedek? Well, we can't talk about Melchizedek because they've become dull and sluggish. And these people were once receptive to God's word. They were Jews who had 
heard the gospel and responded, who had left everything to follow Christ, who had even experienced persecution and hardship and affliction for the sake of the name of Christ. But now they have grown resistant. They were once receptive and now they're resistant. It's like wax build up in the years. And over time, if, if that's left unaddressed, then the wax builds up enough to where your ears are blocked and unable to listen. You get deaf. That's what's happened spiritually to these people. And of course, this language of being dull in hearing actually goes back to chapter 3 and chapter 4, where the author told us about the wilderness generation, the people who were in the wilderness at the time of Moses, who had failed to hear the word of God. The word of God came to them. They were dull in listening. The word was not met by faith in their hearts. It did not penetrate. And so they were unbelieving and disobedient and faced God's wrath in the wilderness. That failure to hear and obey the word of God is what the author is warning these people about. They are guilty of a disgraceful and shameful regression. They have gone backwards so that important and vital truths have become hard to explain. And make no mistake, this is not just an intellectual deficiency. He's not saying, oh, I want to explain these things, but it's hard. You lack the intellectual capacity to receive them. It's not just a matter of mental capacity. No, this is an issue of spiritual and moral laziness and resistance. It's a spiritual resistance to the things of God. You know, I was talking about the adult baby guy with uh, some of our staff uh, a couple of days ago. And, and someone noted this. They said, well, that guy chose to live as an adult baby. But, you know, a lot of Christians, well, it's not their fault. They're just ignorant. And what I want to say to that is, no, no, no. Biblically speaking, ignorance is an issue. Your ignorance is culpable. You're culpable for your ignorance. The Bible holds us responsible for being ignorant and unaware of the truths of God, and being unwilling to listen and obey God's word. And what was true 2,000 years ago hasn't really changed today, has it? You see, trials come into our lives we face trials in the Christian life, and oftentimes I have seen the Lord use trials in people's lives to grow them spiritually, to sanctify them, and to mature them, and to make them more like Christ. I've so often seen believers come out on the other side of a trial far more mature and godly than they were before. But sometimes trials can have the opposite effect. That was the case here. You see, these people had been through serious trials. They were being persecuted for their faith. They had their property seized and even plundered because of their faith in Christ. But all of these trials and repeated trials had not caused them to grow. No, they'd begun to regress. They'd gone into sluggishness and disobedience, even beginning to question the elementary truths of the faith. Friends, much the same could be said about us and many in this church. And I see this as a shepherd and overseer of your souls. Of course, we've faced great, great trials over the last couple of years. 
COVID-19 pandemic, all of the transition and uncertainty that all of that has brought into your lives, into our lives. So many of you afflicted in various ways. But in many lives, it's not caused growth. No, these trials have led to a regression spiritually. These, these trials have caused you to fall backwards and go downwards. Even for us as a church, a kind of spiritual sluggishness that I see taking hold of many of us. You've begun experiencing a spiritual reversal, going backwards in the faith. You're content to come to church even and, and listen to the word and sit here and maybe warm the seats. But it doesn't penetrate into your heart and into your life. So that you apply it to yourself and to others and live in obedience to it. What does this sluggishness and spiritual regression look like? Well, the author gives us uh, two pictures, two metaphors to describe it. Education and diet. Education and diet. Education, look at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. So some of you, believe it or not, will not believe this, especially the Indians, but when I was in primary school for five years, from first grade to fifth grade, I uh, studied Hindi, the Hindi language. And I, even on multiple occasions, almost every year, I think, won the award in the school for the highest marks, highest grade, topping student in Hindi. And I was doing pretty well. And then in the sixth grade... I switched my second language studies to French. And then a few years later, the Hindi wasn't there. And it still isn't there. And you might talk to me in Hindi, but I will just nod and not be able to talk back or not even understand what you're saying. I, I can read, I mean, you show me something in Hindi and I can read a few letters and maybe pronounce a few words, but there are letters that are unrecognizable and I have no idea what it means. All right. After five years of study, and many of you know from having studied a second language or foreign language, of course, you don't use it, you lose it. And even the basics become unrecognizable to you. And you need to go back to first grade, you need to go back to kindergarten, you need to go back and learn the ABCs. The same thing is true spiritually with the truths of God, with biblical truth and doctrine. You don't use it, you lose it. And you go backwards. Look at what the author says to these guys. He says, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You should know this stuff and be able to teach it to others. Instead, you've got to go back to school, you've got to go back to kindergarten and learn your ABCs. And as one pastor put it, in the, in, in the apostolic age, every church was like a seminary. That's what every church should be. That you come to church and you learn and grow and you're immersed in this community that is filled and saturated with the word of God. And then you learn and grow in the church and you appropriate spiritual truth in such a way that you apply it to yourself and you're able to teach and instruct others. It's part of the Christian life. It's not just the pastors and elders who make disciples. We're all to be instructing one another. Isn't that what God commands us to do? Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly, 
teaching and admonishing one another, instructing one another in all wisdom. That's what the community of faith should look like. And so my friends, when you come to church, you're supposed to be as busy as the preacher. Hearing God's word, learning God's word, taking it in, applying it to your own life, seeking to grow and applying it to others, instructing them in the faith. That should be your aim, all of you, to aim to teach others and raise them up in the faith. Not everyone is called to the office of elder or pastor, but all of us are called to teach and instruct one another. And I'm sad to say, and this is true even of our church, that a lot of folks, many of you as well, have never even thought that it is your duty to grow in the Christian faith and Christian life sufficiently enough that you would be useful in the church to others, that you would be able to instruct others. Now, many of you have been content and are content to just sit down and listen and goes in one year and out the next and hi pastor, bye pastor. Sadly, I want to say many of you are barely useful to yourselves and then you become useless to the church and to other people. And then it goes worse, you even become harmful to others, discouraging them by your immaturity. As one person put it, it is a sad condition when a person can return no answer to the question of what use are you in the church of Christ. ECC, this is a hard word, but the word of God speaks to us. So many of you have sat under expository preaching for years and years, and, and we glory in this, don't we? We say, oh, ECC, expository preaching of the word of God. Praise the Lord. Decades of faithful exposition, unpacking the scriptures week after week, faithfully. We go deep. But you still need somebody to teach you the ABCs. All of that expositional preaching, all of that sitting under the word of God, and yet many of you, you are passive, sluggish, disobedient, lethargic. You've become spiritually resistant to God's word. I want to speak to the men this morning. I want to speak to some of you men. By this time, you ought to be teachers of the word of God. By this time, you ought to be elders in the church. I hope you aspire to the office of elder. I hope you aspire to that kind of spiritual growth and maturity. But for many of you men, the same lethargy and laziness and immaturity that marked your life 10 years ago still mark your life today. And all of the preaching and teaching have made no difference. Dear friends, don't stay in kindergarten in the Christian faith. We shouldn't have to go back and, and learn the elementary principles, he says. That's, that's, that's a way of speaking of the ABCs. I don't want to come here and, you know, A, B, C, D. For many Christians, that's, that's what it is. And that's what we have to do. Friends, we must grow up. We must grow up. The second image that the author uses is that of diet. Diet. Look at verses 13 and 14. He says, you need milk, not solid food. 
For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now this contrast between milk and solid food uh, is a very common metaphor used in the ancient world to describe levels of education, growth and nurture in a person's life. And here the author is saying, yeah, you've gone back to kindergarten learning your ABCs again, and all of you have become milk babies. Oh, little baby, need your milk. You want to talk about Melchizedek? Oh, well, forget about Melchizedek for now. You need milk. You're unskilled in the word of righteousness. I can't feed you solid food. You don't have the capacity to digest it. What's happened to you? What's wrong here? Do you see that someone who's in need of milk, a child, it says he is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Unskilled in the word of righteousness. That means there is an inability to articulate the truth and apply it to oneself and others. An inability to articulate the truth, to apply it to oneself and others. Unskilled in the word of righteousness. The word of God, the truth of God that produces and is meant to produce righteousness in our lives. There is no skill in this. You don't have the skill to do that. To walk in righteousness because you don't hear the word. You're resistant to hearing the word. You're resistant to applying the word. And so you don't live the word and you don't help others live by that word. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Dear friends, true saving faith in Christ results in growth. It results in growth and with that growth there comes an appetite, a hunger for the things of God. A capacity, a keenness, a desire to eat meat, to eat solid food. Wouldn't we all agree there's something wrong with a 20-year-old who looks at a plate of kebabs and says, no, I actually want a bottle of milk. That's what we desire for you, dear brethren, at ECC. That's why our worship services are structured the way they are, is that we want to feed you a feast of every kind of Kebab and grill, mixed grill, Arabian mixed grill, one kilo, two kilo, you have it. That's why, that's why we pick the songs that we pick and sing those. That's why we structure our services the way that we do. That's why our prayers are meant to be Bible saturated. That's why we preach expositional sermons for 45 minutes. Is we want you to have a feast each week and grow and be nourished. But for a lot of people that's, uh, yeah. I just want it a little more light and easy. I just want to close my eyes and have a feeling. Dear friends, we want to nurture you. And as you are nurtured with solid food, look what happens. Look what the text says. It says that these people have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Children are marked by an inability to distinguish good from evil. An inability to discern right from wrong and therefore they're unable to do what is right and, and they don't follow in what is good because they don't even know. 
Whereas as you grow in maturity, there, there grows this sense of discernment, of understanding what the word of God calls us to, understanding what the Lord commands us toward, and beginning to walk in it, and helping others walk in it. That's maturity. Discernment and obedience. And our senses need to be trained for this. But for many, they continue to languish in spiritual immaturity and disobedience. So what are some signs of immaturity here at ECC? Again, brothers and sisters, I speak as a pastor, as your pastor, as one who loves you and cares for your soul. And we care about the state of your soul and the state of your walk before God. These things are of utmost importance. What are some signs of immaturity that we discern as leaders here? Well, on the one hand, there's a doct doctrinal immaturity, a kind of simplistic view of the Christian life and faith. That, you know, there's this idea that, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm following Jesus. I, I love to follow Christ. And I don't want all of that complex stuff you know, all of those doctrines and, you know, doctrine divides, love unites. I don't want to get in too deep in all these things. I'm just happy the way I am. I love Jesus and it's me and Jesus and that's enough. Well, God calls us to have simple faith like a child, but not to be simplistic in our faith. Not to have this casual and trite view. No, He wants us to go deeper and wider in His Word and to learn and to grow or there's this other, you know, kind of immaturity that I see here at this church. Uh, you know, um, some of you who are parents will relate, especially parents of children who are growing a little bit older in the teenage years. You know, sometimes children, you, you feel like your children, they listen to everybody else say anything else in the world except you, except mom and dad, right? You, you've been there, you feel like that. Oh, they, they listen to this person and that person and this friend over here and that person over there, but they're not going to listen to what I'm telling them. And, and sometimes we feel like that as pastors. God has graciously blessed this congregation for years and years with pastors who work hard studying 20 hours, 25 hours a week to bring to you what the Word of God says and apply it to your hearts and lives. And, and some of you come here and sit and listen or whatever, but then you go home, it makes no difference. You don't care. You don't listen to us. There's this willful ignorance of the things that are being taught at church. And instead, you know, you go find on Google, spend 10 minutes on Google. Oh, and I found this thing on Google, and now you're the expert, right? You listen to anyone else around the world teach you something except the pastors whom God has appointed you over your soul. Or you'll watch this YouTube video for 35 minutes where some false teacher is feeding you snacks and junk. And then it's like, oh, now that's, that's what I believe. An inability to discern good from evil. An inability to listen to those who care for your souls. That's, that's, that's immaturity. That's a problem. And then we see this immaturity of constantly needing to teach you again and again the basics, the ABCs. I need to keep taking you back to kindergarten. I need to keep reminding you of the basics. For instance, gathering with the church, making this gathering a priority in your lives. God's word commands it. God's word demands it. It's basic to the Christian life to be a part of the church and to gather with the church weekly, physically, in the presence of God to worship Him. 
I mean, I've been a Christian for 17 years and this was something very early that was taught to us. This is basic. You go to church every week. That's a priority. And we still see so many members even of our church. Oh, I'll come one week and then I'll miss two weeks. I'll come two more weeks and then I'll miss the next three weeks. I'll do this and do that. Yeah, I you know, wanted to do this. Some, some other commitments. Oh, pastor, I attended online. Yeah, sure. What good did that do for your soul? Friends, I don't want to have to go over the ABCs again and again. Again, the ABCs of just clarity about the gospel, the clarity about what it means to be the church. For years and years we've been teaching that Christians are called to be committed to one another, to live life of fellowship with one another, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And yet there's this persistent resistance and immaturity of being concerned about your own affairs. And yeah, it's me and Jesus. But not a hint of concern for your fellow members in the body of Christ or kind of only, you know, associating with those of your own same ethnic and cultural group. I, we see this outside in the courtyard every week. You can see little bubbles of different uh, ethnicities. But there's, there's no intent to go and find out how that person is doing or how this person is doing and, and to pray for them and to encourage them with God's word. The lack of clarity about what it means to live the Christian life in church. Some of you have been attending this church even or staying on the periphery for years and years, even for decades, and have never thought that I need to commit to the body of Christ. I need to commit to the family of God. I need to give myself in covenant to other Christians through the covenant of church membership to bear others' burdens. Some of you have attended for years and years and we're still going over the ABCs of baptism. One of the first commands of Jesus to be baptized in his name and therefore to come into his kingdom and family. And you profess faith in Christ which haven't been baptized. We're still going over those ABCs. We're still trying to encourage you not to be indifferent to the spiritual well-being of others. Oh, Friends, you, you want to talk about Melchizedek. But you're not even con convinced of something as basic as membership and church life. And some, some, sometimes you, say, you post on Facebook all of your different spiritual thoughts. You won't humbly serve and pray for your fellow church members. And there's this spiritual immaturity not only in seeking to learn and grasp spiritual truth, but also in failing to put in practice the clear commands of God. Dear friends, this state of affairs is not good. It's not good. In fact, it's dangerous. You see, if you keep reading and we look at next week, chapter 6, the author issues one of the fiercest warning passages in the entire New Testament. If you constantly stay immature, that leads to death. There's no option here. If you keep going backwards, if you keep falling backwards, eventually you will fall away, is what the author is saying. You can be in the best church with the best Bible studies and the best life group and preaching and all of that, but if you are not taking the truth of God and applying it to your life and seeking to grow, then that will be your end state. As one pastor says, many souls under the best of means 
come to the worst of ends. Spiritual immaturity is dangerous, it's shameful, and it's repulsive. It's just as disgusting as a full-grown man in diapers drinking milk from a bottle and sleeping in a crib. So what should we do? How should we respond when the Word of God rebukes us? Well, that leads to the second challenge that we see in this text. We saw that we should renounce sluggish immaturity. And second, we are challenged to reach forward to spiritual maturity. Reach forward, press on to spiritual maturity. Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Friends, did you see what the author says? He is calling all Christians, the whole community of faith, the entire church, to go on to maturity. The call to maturity is not just something for elders. It's not just something for uh, some subgroup of elite Christians, the really spiritual godly ones. No, this is for all of us who are in Christ. All of us are called to go on to maturity. All Christians are called to grow. We must keep moving forward. And I'll have you know this. There is no neutral. Right? There is no neutral in the Christian life. You're either going one direction or the other. Either you're growing up or you're going down. Either you're progressing or you're regressing. Either you're pressing forward or you're falling backward, which might eventually lead to falling away. That's a real danger, the danger of falling away. That's the danger that this author is concerned about with these Hebrew Christians. And we ought to be concerned about for ourselves. I just want to clarify something here because sometimes people get confused. He says, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. So sometimes people say, oh, well, then that means, uh, you know, we don't talk about the gospel anymore because that's basic. And, and we leave that behind and, and go forward to more mature, advanced things. And that's not what the author means here. Okay, We never leave the gospel behind. The gospel is how we start the Christian life, how we grow in the Christian life, how we finish the Christian life. He's talking about, about us going deeper and wider and growing stronger in that same gospel. Of course, if you read the rest of Hebrews, chapters 7 to 10, he's unpacking for us the gospel, the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ, going deeper and deeper into that gospel. So what he's saying here is, I don't want to have to persuade you of this again and again. I don't want to have to lay the foundation again and again, the foundation of faith. You, you should believe this. You should be convicted of it. It should be your passion. And I don't want to start all over and persuade you from the beginning of these basic things. That's what he means. And in verses 1 and 2, he gives us three pairs of basics there that he doesn't want to persuade these people of again and again. First is repentance from dead works. He says, I don't want to lay a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. That's the first pair. 
This is how we start the Christian life. We repent, turn away, make a U-turn from sin. Right? He's speaking of dead works. Those are works that lead to death. In other words, sin. We turn away from sin and then we believe. We have faith toward God. But we trust in who God is and what He says, in who Jesus is and what He has done, paying the price for our sins on the cross. Repentance and faith. These are two sides of the same coin in the New Testament. You can't have one without the other. And that's how we begin the Christian life. The second pair, he says, are instructions about washings uh, or baptisms. You might see there in the footnote if you have that. Instructions about ba- instruction about baptisms and the laying on of hands. And, and these are debated. Uh, people have different views. Why does he say baptisms, plural? I think he's referring to baptism in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit, Christian baptism, and how that differs from the Old Testament uh, washings and purification rites. That was essential and basic for these Jewish Christians. When they came to faith, there was a command to be baptized, and they, they were taught that this is different from Jewish washings. This is baptism, Christian baptism. That's basic, that's essential. There's questions about what the laying on of hands means. Um, There's a debate about that. Some people say that uh, he's talking about laying on of hands uh, where believers, new believers, people came to faith in Christ, that in the church they would lay their hands on them and pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Other people say that laying on of hands, and this is how we most commonly see it used in the New Testament, is installation of elders in the church, right? putting people into the office of church uh, leadership. And, and they lay their hands on them and pray. We, we do that here uh, at ECC. And, and so I, I lean towards this view, that this laying on of hands, because that's the most common use in the New Testament, is referring to how we install elders, how we install our leaders. That's basic stuff. Church life, being baptized, joining the church, sitting under leaders who have been installed over you to be your elders. And then the third pair is over there in verse uh, 2. Resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. That one day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, there will be a bodily resurrection. We will be raised from the dead. And those who have repented from sin and trusted in Christ and His finished work on the cross will be raised in glory and we will enter God's eternal kingdom as His kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven and we will be with Him forever in glory. And those who have disobeyed God and disbelieved His word will face eternal judgment and punishment for their sins. That's the basic foundation of the faith. And maybe you're here this morning and this foundation hasn't been laid for you. Maybe you're here and you've never believed this truth. You've never repented from your dead works and expressed faith in God. And if that's you, then we want to share with you, dear friend, that God is holy and He is our Creator. He is righteous and just. And and we owe Him our obedience and our worship. But we are sinners. We are those who have rebelled against God. And we have sinned against Him. And we deserve judgment for our sins. We deserve condemnation and eternal punishment for our sins. Yet God, in His grace and mercy, 
has sent us His own Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, who lived the perfect life that we could not live, and who died the perfect death as a substitute, paying a sacrifice for sins on the cross, pouring out His blood, taking upon Himself the judgment and the wrath that sinners deserve, so that whoever repents from our works that lead to death, whoever repents from sin and trusts in Christ, will receive the forgiveness of sins and the hope of resurrection from the dead and eternal life. We will be free from judgment. So if that's you, dear friend, if this foundation has not been laid in your life, I want to call you to repent from your sins today and to put your faith in the only Savior for sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you'd like to know more about that, any of us would be glad to meet you afterward and talk with you and share with you more. So I want to speak to our brothers and sisters at ECC once again. If this foundation has been laid, then we must grow up. We must grow up. How do you grow up? Well, the author told us, verse 14, chapter 5, the mature are those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, by constant use, to distinguish good from evil. That means you give yourself to training in the school of Christ, to constantly learning and assimilating the truth and applying it to yourself and applying it to others. Like I said earlier, you have as much work to do as the preacher does. In fact, your work just begins on Sunday morning with the sermon. And then all week long, there's, there's the work of digesting the truth of God and applying the truth of God. Give yourself to reading the Bible. Read the scriptures that you might instruct yourself, that you might train yourself and train others. Swim in the word of God. Read other good books, good books about Christian doctrine. And we're happy to commend books to you, by the way. Right? We, we love to give you book recommendations, book suggestions, tell you, yeah, pick up this book on the Trinity. Read this book on the local church. Read this book on the doctrine of baptism. Read this book on the doctrine of salvation. We love to help you in those ways. Don't go pick up some spiritual junk from somewhere and then you know, read 80 pages of your best life now and then come up with whatever ideas you know, you picked up along the way. No, we're, we're here. God has appointed us and it's our privilege and our joy to serve as your pastors, to feed you with the word of God, to recommend to you good resources that can help you grow in the Christian life. So what books are you reading? It's a good question to ask yourself. Even things to talk about after the service. You can talk with one another. What book are you currently reading? What book of the Bible are you reading? What are you learning from it? I want to speak to the men here. Men, are you working hard to grow? Are you reading the Bible, reading other good Christian books, seeking to train yourself so that you can fulfill your role as the spiritual leader of your family, to lead your family in the word and the ways of God? You know, sometimes people wonder, oh, why are our children growing up and leaving the faith? Well, it's because many times daddy failed. To do what he had to do. To work and model a sense of desire for God's word. To instruct kids in God's word. It begins at home, dear friends. Women, I want to ask you, sisters, are you growing? 
Are you seeking to equip yourself with God's word to keep yourself from being led astray by bizarre doctrines? Are you training yourself so that you're skilled in the word of righteousness to help your fellow sisters grow, to teach the gospel to others, to teach the gospel to the lost? I even want to speak to the children here this morning. Dear children, are you growing in maturity? You may be physically small, and yes, you are, and you're growing physically in this life. But you too can be spiritually mature well beyond your years. Your example is the Lord Jesus Christ, who at 12 years of age was in the temple instructing grown men from the word of God and amazing all of them with his questions and answers. That's your model, dear children, our Lord Jesus. And so you too can grow up into maturity through God's word and instruct others and even instruct your parents. Dear friends, I want to ask all of us, are you participating in the life of the church? Is this word dwelling richly in us as a community? Are you seeking to get involved in the lives of other Christians and instruct them and be instructed by them? Not just clinging to people of your own ethnicity, but investing yourself in those who are the family of Christ and your covenant family. You know, our vision at ECC is this, right? We, we say this. We want to grow disciples from the nations to be gospel ambassadors to the nations. We must grow as disciples. We must press on, reach forward, and grow up. And this we will do. Chapter 6, verse 3. You see what the author says? This we will do if God permits. Dear friends, Jesus died and shed his blood not so that we would be babies, but that we would grow up. And ultimately, we can keep doing what we need to do and we must obey God and submit to his word. But growth comes only from the Lord. It's the Lord who gives growth. So let us humbly seek him. Let us pray to him that he would bring growth in our lives, in our church, spiritual growth, depth, maturity, May God give the growth, brothers and sisters. May the Lord permit us to increase in the knowledge of Him. May the Lord grow you up in the knowledge of Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Even as we are rebuked, we pray that we would humbly submit in obedience to You and that You would work in our hearts that which is pleasing in Your sight and grow us up into maturity in Christ Jesus. In His name, Amen.